it. You don't wanna miss it. I was born to get it. Ha. This sound like theme music. Motivation to grind and get you through it. Church. Unbothered, never losing. Check the score. Jamel show improving. Don't make me tell you 50, 11 times from politics to laugh. Every week she shines. My word, how I live it. You don't wanna miss it. I was born to get it. Before I get to the word of the week, let me just take a moment to pop my collar and celebrate my damn self. In case you hadn't heard or seen on the Jamel Hill is Unbothered various social channels or even my own, this podcast won not one, but two dose NAACP Image Awards. We won for Outstanding Society and Culture Podcast and also for Outstanding Arts and Entertainment Podcast. We out here. Now, I owe a debt of gratitude to you, my listeners, and to the dope guests that come on this podcast every week and give their perspective, share things that they haven't shared publicly before, or just come and kick it. I owe you all so, so very much for making this podcast a huge success. I also want to thank both Spotify for the partnership and platform and to the Unbothered team. I just thank you for growing with me, for holding me down, pushing me when need be, and turning this podcast into one of my finest accomplishments. This podcast means so much to me, and while I have never been one to need the validation of awards, it just feels good to be recognized and to know that this podcast is resonating with people. And now, on to Word of the Week, which is regret. Just give me a second to speak. It's the Word of the Week. I was really struck by this tweet from Nicole Hannah-Jones, the brilliant journalist and architect behind the 1619 Project. Here's something that she tweeted last week. Here is another example of why critical race theory is necessary. Too many of you have such an unsophisticated, manipulated, and I'd argue convenient understanding of our history and how racial caste works that you think only white people can be anti-black. Well, amen and finger snaps. So with that, let's have a conversation about New York Mayor Eric Adams. Mayor Adams only has been in office for a few months in New York City, and he's just a gross example of what Nicole Hannah-Jones is talking about. Just because you're black or non-white, that doesn't mean you can't be anti-black. Doesn't matter that we're in the same rainbow family, the same color family, as in being people of color in this country. Sometimes some of the most egregious racism and anti-blackness comes from people who have a shared interest, or should I say should have a shared interest in seeing all people of color uplifted. Now, Mayor Adams recently announced he's going to clean up New York subways by having the police focus on finding people who smoke, litter, evade fares and lay across multiple seats. This is directly aimed at the unhoused population. There has recently been a wave in violent crime in New York City, and that included a homeless man pushing an Asian woman to her death on the subway. Now, during this same weekend, there were eight violent attacks Two involved homeless people. But one of them was a victim of a crime and the other, of course, the case I just referred to. The majority of the attacks were either robberies or disputes that occurred on the train. But it's easy to focus on the unhoused population because they're vulnerable and they're voiceless. And when you're trying to show people you're doing something, even if that means it's just continuing a vicious cycle, it plays very well with the anti-black status quo. African-Americans make up 40% of the homeless population in the United States, even though we are just 13% of the overall population. So any policy that criminalizes our poverty is going to have a damaging effect on our community. It leads to more poverty, more jails with us in them, and an overall lack of support. Because at the same time that Eric Adams was announcing this new initiative to clean up the subways, he was also putting together his new budget. And in this new budget, New York City's Homeless Service Agency will see a fifth of its operating budget slash. The city also is directing less money towards shelters where 58 percent of the people in those shelters are African-American. Better than a subway safety plan would be a plan that increased the number of mental health professionals that gave money to shelters and other agencies that deal with the unhoused. And oh, how about affordable housing? There's an idea. So all of this is just more of the same. Criminalize the poor, drain social services, wash, rinse, repeat. 
I wish this was just an aberration for Mayor Adams, but this is the same dude who recently had a meeting with drill rappers because he's trying to address the city's gun violence because there were two drill rappers who were recently killed. Now, he's not meeting with gun violence experts or putting the pressure on police to stop the flow of illegal guns or to solve some of these unsolved murders. He's instead meeting with rappers because nothing plays better to the public than one Negro gathering the other Negroes and giving folks the optics that they keep in a Negro problem in line. Notice how when Donald Trump allegedly was trying to reach out and better his relationship with the black community, they were scheduling meetings with folks like Ice Cube. Ice Cube, not experts, not people who have written papers or done academic work around institutional racism, not economic experts, but rappers. Okay, Eric Adams was in law enforcement for decades, so we already know that police budget ain't gonna miss a red cent. And then we wonder why certain problems remain unaddressed. Well, this is why you keep doing what you're doing. You're gonna keep getting what you're getting. So I'm wondering, New York City. Is there any regret? With Mayor Adams, the word of the week. Just give me a second to speak. It's the word of the week. Let's talk about today's show. My guest today is just truly a breath of fresh air. Some people just possess a spirit that just draws you in and makes you feel comforted. Today's guest has one of the most inspiring and unique come up stories you have ever heard. I promise you, it all started with her reviewing a sandwich from Whole Foods while she was taking a break from driving her Uber. The review went viral. And now a few years later, she's got millions of followers online, 4 million Instagram followers, 4.9 million TikTok followers. She's been given the nickname America's Mom because of her nurturing spirit, incredible vegan recipes and just the way her video posts make you feel safe and loved. She's also an actress and an author, and I'm just so pleased that she is joining me today. Coming up next on Jamel Hill is Unbothered, the wonderful Tabitha Brown. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Tabitha, I feel like this is a layup question for you, given your spirit, your demeanor. But it's a question I ask every guest on this podcast, since it's called Jamel Hill is Unbothered. So let me ask you, when did you become unbothered? Oh, I became unbothered about four and a half years ago when I chose myself, right? When I chose to live my life for Tab. And I came and bothered with the rest of the world. Honey, anything else that ain't got nothing to do with me, honey, ain't none of my business. <laughs> <laughs> so wh- how did you arrive at that point that you needed to choose you? Because I think we all live with this automatic assumption that we think we're always choosing ourselves. But probably when we have more reflection, we realize we have not been choosing ourselves. So what made you realize that you needed to actively and intentionally choose you? Uh, I think, you know, when I got sick, right, I was sick for about a year and a half and the dark space, it ain't fun. Uh, But what it made me do is really look at myself. And I realized at that time, like I was putting myself after a whole lot of people. Right. Which is why I probably got sick, um, which is why my mental was not well. And I just knew I needed to change that. Right. And then also, I just realized that I was also trying to be somebody who was not me. And that just wasn't fair to myself. And also to God, I was like, well, Lord, that's me telling him, you ain't do a good enough job. I got to create this other person and try to be her, you know? And when I realized that, I was like, I'm going to start today and I'm going to spend the rest of my life every day pulling off the layers uh, to get, you know, make sure I'm always just showing up as me. Was the start of this when you decided to go vegan? Has it just been four years? Yeah, it'd be five years this year in August. 
five years I've been vegan. Yeah. Oh wow, because I, I, I honestly I thought you were vegan a l- little bit longer, like six or seven years, because it you it obviously is a lifestyle that suits you. Yeah, yeah, honey, changed my life and saved my life. Yeah. So you um, you mentioned being sick. You had a chronic condition where you had some fatigue, depression, um, some other things that were happening with your body. Sometimes some of us, we may feel some of these symptoms, but we don't always know how serious it is. So was there something where you discovered or you knew that this was not just something that was passing? You know, the headache started in January of like 2016, right? I woke up. And I, I had a car accident in high school. So sometimes I'll wake up and my neck is stiff or I have a little pain there because I live with chronic pain, right? And then the back of my head would, you know, feel a little strained. And that was normal for me. And so this morning, I, that morning I woke up, I felt that in my neck and I felt it in the back of my head. But it rested there. It never went away. Now, the most that I would have an episode, sometimes it lasts a week. A week came and went. Two weeks came and went. A month came and went. That pain stayed there for a year and seven months. And so, I mean, after a month or two, I was already going to, girl, you name it, I was trying to acupuncture, you know, going to the doctor. I was getting injections in my head, uh, injections in my spine, uh, taking steroids. I was doing anything and everything to try to get relief. And nothing was helping. And then the pain that I was feeling here started to go throughout my body. I started to feel dizzy. And I was still working at this time. I was working my little eight to five job. And I did that until probably like maybe June. You know, I was out of work for like maybe two weeks. And then after I started to feel a little bit better because I would have like good days and bad days. But it, the presence was there. And I was like, this is not normal. There was a day I lost my vision today. Everything was blurred. Like I started to fall when I would walk. I really convinced myself too, because, you know, the mind will convince you that you are about to die. And my mama died of ALS. And so I convinced myself that, oh my God, this is this, I have ALS, right? Uh, because I would start to fall. And I had got injections in my spine. I had a cervical epidural. I had it more than once. And the last time that I got it, I lost all like, mo- like mobility of my right hand. I couldn't hold my phone. I was tripping even more. And I was like, this is the same thing that happened to my mom. I really started convincing myself which also led, you know, led me into panic. I started having major anxiety. My panic attacks just started going to manic panic. So it'd be like 50 a day sometimes. And it just was not a, you know, a good feeling, but uh, it definitely started. The change happened. Um, you know, the awakening of myself, like something is, is wrong. However, you know, the doctors never figured it out. They kept saying, well, we know it's something and we know it's like autoimmune, but we just can't figure it out. And uh, I think the last rheumatologist I went to, she told me, she said, um, well, you know, when we can't tell women, you know, what's wrong with them, we tell them they have fibromyalgia. I said, well, I don't want to just accept something because you can't figure it out. She's like, but that's that's what we do. And so I was like, I'm not in good hands at this point. And so, but yeah. It was your daughter who uh, showed you the documentary about, you know, how eating a lot of proteins, eating animals, essentially, how that can impact the body. Now, was your daughter vegan at this point? No, honey, she was just, you know, she was watching her mom suffer, right? And they watched it at school. And she came home and was like, mom, we saw this documentary. I think you should watch it. And I did. And it, you know, it was a light bulb moment for me. I was like, oh, wait a minute. This is something I haven't tried, right? I tried every drug but I haven't tried to change what I'm eating because I wasn't an unhealthy eater, right? I haven't had red meat or pork since I was 15. And I was a vegetarian for like five years from 15 to 20. And then I started back eating chicken and fish and turkey when me and my husband you know, moved in together. And so I only ate fish and turkey and chicken and I'm allergic to milk. So I didn't do dairy anymore anyway. So in my mind, I was a healthy eater, but I also realized I was not eating to feel well. I was eating to look well. And that was a problem. Explain that difference. You said eating to look well, not feel well. What's the difference? Because I was in in my mind about my weight. I got, you know, if I eat protein and, you know, a little bit of greens, I'm going to stay looking a certain way. I'm in in Hollywood. I'm in entertainment. I got to look a certain way, right? Because I wasn't free. 
I was living for everybody else. I was living to be accepted. And so I was eating or not eating some days. If I had an audition coming up or a shoot or something was coming up or I had an event and I wanted to look a certain way, I might weigh myself 10, 12 times in a day. And based on what that scale said is what I ate or did not eat, right? That's eating to look a certain way. Eating to feel well, eating to be well, you are intentional with what you're putting in your body, right? And so I started being intentional with eating things that are alive, right? Plants and, you know, fruit and vegetables and trying to be what I ate, alive and well. Um, A lot of times people say, you know, I never talk about this because I never want people to feel judged because I'm not that type of person. Um, and certainly not the type of vegan, right? But the vegan community can be very judgmental. But I remember when God revealed to me one day in prayer, he said, you always hear people say you are what you eat. And I ate chicken and, you know, turkey almost every day, right? And I thought about how these animals now are mass produced and they are not in good condition. They are heavily like in panic and depressed. And I was eating that every day. I was eating their panic. I was eating their depression. And in turn, I became panic and I became depressed. And also I was eating their death. And I also felt like I was going to die. And so I had to change that to where I don't eat those things. I don't eat uh, feelings other than my own. And I want to feel good about that. So, (laughs) (laughs) So um, was it a slow transition or did you just go cold turkey and just drop everything? We started with a 30, a 30 day vegan channel. We watched a documentary. I was like, I told my husband, I was like, let's try it together for 30 days. And he was like, OK, you know, at that point, everybody is trying to help me get better, you know. And so in 10 days, my headache went away after a year and seven months. And I was like, I'm on to something. And so I kept with it. So the 30 days turned into four years and how how many months later? (laughs) And not just four years, it turned into an incredible success story that I think it's important to remind people that was 20 years in the making, right? right? This I know people like to brand you as an overnight sensation, but you were not overnight. You have been pouring a lot of yourself into becoming a success in the entertainment industry. And I want to just quickly go back to something you said. You talked about how you were living for everybody else and trying to meet a Hollywood standard. And I think maybe people who don't live in L.A., I live in L.A., I think you do too, is like what they don't understand that there's a difference between, say, thin and Hollywood thin. Yeah. Like Hollywood thin is a, a totally different thing. Like they think thin is a zero or two. Yeah. Yeah. Right. We in our community, we might think a eight, uh, maybe a six, but they think a totally different level. So what was that like for you to experience, you know, in real time, how the standard was so different than probably how who you thought you were and how you lived your life? You know, it started so early for me. Right. Um, And I think it's even as far as like. You know, watching my mom as a little girl always struggle with her weight always gave me a thought about weight anyway. And so I remember when my daughter uh, was 12 and she was in sixth grade. I remember this like yesterday. I was in her room and I was talking to her about something. And as I was walking out of her room, she had this mirror there. And I was like, you know, I just started tearing myself apart in the mirror. And she was like, at 12, she looked at me. She said, Mom, you know, if you do that in front of me, that I'm going to think something's wrong with my body. At 12, she told me that. And that was the last time I ever talked about any imperfection of my body in front of her. But it was an eye-opening for me. Uh, But I was so damaged because of the standards. I remember going to, you know, casting workshops or, you know, auditions or hearing back that, oh, they think you were just a little bit too thick or, you know, you need to lose a little weight or how's your workout? You know, boldly asking these questions, right? I mean, I had friends or, you know, family members in the industry who would also be like, well, you know, if you want to be a leading lady, you got to have a certain look. You know, even for me straightening my hair, I would always wear my hair straight because they said my complexion, you can't be a natural girl with your complexion on television. You're going to have to wear it straight and be a two or four. And I believed that. That was the sad part. I believed it. 
but I have been conditioned for so long to believe it. Right. So I'm happy that I went through it, though, because now I can stand on top of it. Right. I can show up as tab, however I am. And also I have raised an amazing daughter who is like, girl, we're going to be exactly how we are. Right. And, and proud about it. It definitely is something that I see slowly is changing with the acceptance of us as us, but still needs a lot of work. I was going to say, your daughter sounds like she didn't been here before. <laughs> as they, as yeah. they say, my gosh, she's very wise. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So when you were um, trying to create this career in Hollywood, in entertainment, uh, stand-up comedy, acting, I know you got a lot of rejection. Were you ever close to really like quitting for good? Never quitting for good. I just, there's something that lives inside of me and always has uh, that would pull on me. There would be times that I thought, like, is it going to happen? But then something would remind me, whether it be a dream I had or a moment in a store where somebody would think that they knew me from television. And I'd be like, I ain't never been on TV. Like, I ain't never, like, what do you, like, no. But that'd be like God saying, hey, they see your destiny. So there was always something that would keep pulling me that I was open to receiving. I never wanted to quit. And it never really was about fame or anything for me. I just wanted to work and perform, right? I just love people and I love making people feel something. So I used to tell my husband, because you know, I used to work at Macy's and I was like, I was making like $15 an hour. I was like, if I could just do theater every day for $15 an hour, oh my God, I would just be so happy because then I'm, I'm an actress. I'm a paid actress, right? That's, that, that's how I felt. So there was never a time that, I thought never. Were there times that I was like, maybe I need to take a break. Maybe I need to rethink this. Maybe I you know, need to figure something else out. There were times where, because my husband's my partner, right? Not my provider, but my partner, that I thought I'm gonna have to take a break from this and just work so that I can make sure I'm helping him enough. You know, but there was never a time that I know that I could feel well about just quitting. When we lived in North Carolina, we had went back from living in California in 98. We was in Orange County, honey, nowhere near L.A. Honey, he had no idea what I was doing. And so we moved back to Greensboro and we said, you know, we're going to go back to Greensboro, save up for one year because it's cheap and, you know, to live there. And then we'll move to L.A. And then that one year turned into five years. Right. And a baby and got married and had a house and cars and all these new responsibilities. And I had convinced myself that, girl, you can't have that dream now. As bad as I still wanted it, I convinced myself because I'm from a small town. You had a baby. You young. Y'all married. Like, this is what it's going to be. You're going to have to live happily ever after, work a regular job, and that's going to be it. But God didn't let me do that. He didn't let me do that. I'm so grateful that, that he woke me up one morning. Because you originally, I think you moved to L.A. when you were like 19 years old. So Orange County. To Orange County, sorry, not LA, because people not from here don't understand Orange County is like a totally different universe. Yeah, it's a whole different place. But I didn't, I didn't know any better, right? My mama knew somebody uh, that she didn't really know, and they said, "Oh, she can bring a room for me," you know. And I was like, "Okay, yeah." I got there, and I'm like, now, "Where is LA?" Oh, this about almost. I mean, we were in Laguna, so we were very close to like San Diego. You know, we we was at the bottom, right? Oh, you was way out there. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. It's beautiful, but it ain't Los Angeles. And there's no opportunity there. Uh, so I wasn't able to, you know, I also was working two jobs at 19, right? I was working at this place called Onyx, which is a car financing company. And I was working at Express in the mall because, you know, one thing Tab can do is work. And I ain't never been shamed of it, okay? I can go get a job tomorrow. If all this go away, I can go get me a job tomorrow, okay? So, uh, yeah. Yeah, I was I was there, but girl, we won't in LA, we won't in Hollywood. Well, when you see how um, things have evolved for you, and you have one of the most organic, inspiring success stories that most people, certainly myself included, have ever heard about. You know, it all started with a sandwich in a, in your Uber, <laughs> right? And now here you are, a household name, millions of followers on social media. Uh, how often? Oh, well, actually, before I ask this, let me ask you this. Does the success feel like you thought it would? Uh, you know, it feels like normal life now. It feels like 
I always talk about this. My husband always joke about it. He was like, you know, for years and years, he's like, for about 20 years, everything you booked, this was it. He was like, every time you booked it, you were like, man, this, this is the one right here about to blow up, about to blow up. And I would be like running through the house excited and just going crazy, right? When all this stuff started to happen and things started to move and doors started to open, I've been in a grateful spirit, but very much so like, this is this is normal. Like it feels like now my spirit and my flesh are together. All those years with me going, oh my God, that was me, the flesh, like, oh my God, and flesh in my spirit was like, girl, no, that ain't it. That ain't it. So we weren't on one accord. Now I feel at perfect peace. Now I feel like, oh, oh God, I get it. Now this is where you wanted me to go. You I had to start living in purpose first, right? It feels completely different than I thought it would feel, right? But it feels amazing, but it feels like home, if that makes sense. What did you think it was going to feel like? Um, you know, I thought it was just going to be like, oh, my God. Like, Lord, this is, you know, you know, I just thought it was going to be like super exciting. Although it is super exciting for me. I mean, I love my life. Right. But I'm also very much so it's family first. Right. It's tab and family first. And everything else is just a bonus. Uh, and just being able to work. I'm happy with that. Like I get to work and do what I love. But I don't know if I thought there was a, a feeling attached to it more than I thought it looked a certain way, if that makes sense. I think I thought it looked like I'm on TV every week or I'm, you know, I'm on a series regular television show. I'm, you know, and it's like, I never ever thought it would be a, a phone, like me recording myself that took me there, right? So uh, yeah, but you know, that's God. He said, it's more than what we can imagine. Now, it, was it your daughter that first convinced you to start doing videos or did she specifically convince you to do TikTok first? Yeah, she, she convinced me to get on TikTok. I had already been on Facebook uh, as my original platform. And then I had started sharing on Instagram, but I had been doing that for about two years. And so when she told me that I, I was doing well, I had like 500,000 followers on Facebook at the time. And I think I had like 200,000 on Instagram. And I was like, girl, I'm making my little money. I'm all right. You know, this is good. I grew my audience. She was like, but no, mama, you can get on TikTok and you can be like the TikTok mom and people would, you know, love your like inspirational videos. You can do your recipes. And I was like, girl, in one minute, I don't know. I, I talk slow and I talk a lot, girl. I don't know. <laughs> I was like, okay. She kept pressing me, kept pressing me. In March of 2020, I was like, let me get on here and see if I can do it. The first time we did a video, though, we went viral for the wrong reason. I wanted to do the renegade because that's what was trending. And I said, well, let me show, show us how to do it. So it was me, her and my brother. She was trying to show us how to work TikTok so that we could do the renegade. And it was like when parents trying to get on TikTok, that went viral. I was like, OK, now people got to know that that ain't me. But I can also offer something. So let me do a, you know, a food video and. The rest is kind of history. I, I did not think the kids would like me on there, but they they showed up for me. And now you, as of the taping of this podcast, you have 4.9 million followers on TikTok. Why do you think you resonate so strongly with people? Um, I think that because, you know, we are living in a time where people don't show up as themselves. And I just decided that I'm only going to show up as me. And people like that, right? People like to feel seen and I do my best to make people feel like I see them. And just by being tab, like, I don't know. I, I think that some people just need that. I also am so intentional with my videos. Like I want people to feel loved. Uh, I'm intentional with that. I want somebody to feel like I'm your friend. It's why I don't know if you ever noticed, but you know, I hold my phone very close to my face when I do my videos. Because I want people to feel like I'm just talking to you, Jamel. It's just me and you in this time, right? It ain't about nobody else in this moment. And so I'm just, you know, I, I think that's it. I can't tell you, you know. I just try to keep it real and honest. And um, my prayer every time I pick up my phone to record is God let them see you and me. And that way I can't be denied. And I think that it works. I'm sure you probably have thought about it this way, but I certainly 
thought about it and not just researching you, but just seeing your um, career rise the way it has is that everything they told you wouldn't work for you. Totally worked for you. Right. The Southern accent that supposedly wasn't supposed to work. The natural hair that supposedly wasn't going to work. Um, you mentioned that sometimes, you know, you had body image issues that works for you. So it's just, I mean, I think, you know, I, I know that everybody has a different belief system, but to me, that's how you know it's from God, right? Yeah. Is that everything he gave you totally worked for you. Yeah. And that's what I mean when I say, you know what, I was offending him by trying to be somebody else. Cause that's like me saying you ain't do it. You know, you didn't create me right. But then when I started to embrace the way he created me. Just as I am. My whole world changed. Because, you know, you and your husband, you, you guys have been together for years and years and years, right? As this success was happening, I mean, he's seen you from, what, you guys met in like eighth grade, I think? Yeah, we met in eighth grade. Well, we met in fifth grade, but we dated in eighth grade. You dated in eighth grade. Okay. But met in fifth grade, right? So he has literally seen you through every stage, yeah. you know, of your life. Were you ever concerned or wondered how this wave of success might impact you two? Oh, no, honey. That's the one thing I'm certain about. Everything else I can be uncertain because I don't know what is to come with, with an uncharted territory. And I'm, I'm certain about that meaning. Okay. I'm for certain about our love. Our bond is so strong and we've been changing every day for 24 years. So of course, we're both going to change as success happens. We're supposed to, but we change together. And I'm for certain about that. So, yeah, girl, that won't never concern. <laughs> That's a word right there, Miss Tab. That's a word. Okay, look, I have a lot more to ask you about that. And it's a particular recipe that I want to ask you about that you made um, that I saw on your social media that I know I'm going to love this recipe. I just need to find out what kind of noodles you use. <laughs> Because I promise you I'm making it this week. Because when I saw it, I was like, I will eat all of that. So I'll ask you about that. Okay. More about your husband. And of course, we got to talk about Donna. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with more with Tabitha Brown. favorite viral video last week was of a Columbus, Ohio TV reporter, Miles Harris. He was setting up his live shot. And as he was doing this, his mama rolled past. And of course, being a mama, a black mama at that, she wasn't going to just drive by like her son wasn't a reporter for the TV news. This is my mom. Hold on. Uh-uh. Hi, baby. <laughs> I'm trying to work right now. You over there calling my phone. This is D'Angelo. You can say hi. And don't be holding up traffic because you got cars behind you. A mama is going to mama no matter what. She doesn't care if it's in front of your significant other, your boss, your co-workers. When mama wants to mama, just stand out the way. My mama is one who mamas very hard. And I got a story to tell about a time she mamaed to the 100th power. I was working at ESPN and me and my co-host Michael Smith were on air talking about a recent trip we'd made to New York City for some company business. Now, during that trip, we met with our agents since we were both represented by the same agency. During our dinner with them, I started choking on a piece of steak to the point where my face turned red and I felt this huge piece of meat lodged in my throat, couldn't breathe. I mean, shit just got stuck there. And as this was happening, I was thinking, damn, I'm really about to have my cause of death on my death certificate be died while chewing on a medium plus filet the ghetto. My co-host noticed I wasn't breathing because I was having trouble signaling my distress. So I couldn't even let anybody at the table know what was happening. He sprung into action. Him and Nick, who is one of my agents, they both gave me the Heimlich and the shit worked. I'm here with you today. The piece of steak dislodged. And while I was horribly embarrassed because the whole restaurant was looking at me, at least a piece of filet didn't take me out. Now, when we were on air for our next show, we told the story and I joked about now having to fund Mike's kids through college because he saved my life. I thought nothing of it. Just a funny story we shared with viewers. Well, my mama was watching the show that day and apparently she was freaking out to the point where she called ESPN. Yes, the switchboard operator. And somehow they directed her to my boss 
who had to assure my mother that not only was I okay, but they were going to take really good care of me. Now, keep in mind, I'm over 40 when this happened. And guess what? We had these crazy inventions called cell phones. I clearly wasn't dead because she saw me on TV. I have no idea why she called my boss of all people to ask if I was okay and to tell them to look out for me when she could have just called me herself. I'm thinking these are all salient points. And when I finally talked to my mother, I expressed these points. And my mother was like, nope, I'm riding on the fact I'm the mama. And because as she put it, I came out of her and not the other way around. Then I was just going to have to live with the fact she had the right to be overprotective whenever she felt it was necessary. I wish I could say that was the only time my mama went full mama. There was also the time she called the White House during my Donald Trump controversy because she was angry that his former press secretary, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, said I should be fired after I called Trump a white supremacist. Matter of fact, if my mother saw Sarah Huckabee Sanders out in public, trust me, it's still on site. Now, even though I asked my mom what she was going to do if they actually patched her through to Sarah Huckabee Sanders or for that matter, why she felt like this could actually be a plan that worked. It didn't matter because you cannot convince a mama not to mama. My mother always tells me, and I know some of you have probably heard the same from your mama, that when I have kids, I will understand her fierce protective instincts. Now, I don't know about all that, but I know that I am not about to reason with a mama because mama's going to do what mama's going to do. And now back to more with America's Mama, Tabitha Brown. Before we get back into you and your husband's relationship, which is so beautiful, and I love the couch conversations that you all have for black love. Uh, I know Cody and Tommy, too. Yeah, they live in my neighborhood, basically. So I love them. And I love, of course, the just the black love brand that they have built. But let's talk about Donna. <laughs> okay. Donna is your Afro. Great name. But what is the backstory behind the name? This is the truth. Okay. A lot of people think it's something deep. But it ain't. <laughs> I was cooking live one night. And this one, Donna was very short. And she had just started to grow out. And the top was standing up straight. And I was like, Lord, why is that one piece of hair standing up straight like Don King? I said, Lord, they must be related. I'm going to have to call her Donna. That was it. And that was it. <laughs> yeah, girl, that's a Don King cousin. Okay. <laughs> now, uh, now, how does Donna's uh, personality, how does that jibe with your own? How, do, how, how are they related? <laughs> Honey, she free. Okay. She do what she want to do. Can't nobody tell her nothing. Okay. And she also reminds me of that on the moments where I, you know, question myself in a moment. She had to remind me, girl, tell you, you free, girl. <laughs> yeah, I love her. That's funny. I was like, I got to think of a name for my hair, too. Like, that just inspired me. I got to think of something. I'll, 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 I'll come up with a name. Donna's like pretty good. Like, that just seems like such a perfect name <laughs> um, for the hairstyles that you have. Uh, you know, one thing I think that we were talking before the break about why people really are drawn to you and your authenticity is a big reason why I think you have so many people that follow you and root for you. And one thing I noticed about you is that you don't let people, how they respond to you or even everything that you've been able to build, change the essence of who you are. That always comes through. And for a lot of people who maybe didn't know you before, you know, the cooking videos and the TikTok presence and your appearances on Ellen and the digital shows, a lot of them became acquainted with you when you responded to Wendy Williams um, after she got out of pocket and started talking, you know, I appreciate this even more so. I haven't been married as long as you. I've only been married three years. So we're in year three right now. And one thing I have definitely learned, being a married woman, don't talk about other people's marriages. Like, really don't. Like, <laughs> that is just... No, you don't know what they got going on. You don't know what they got going on. You don't know what's happening in somebody's house. Mind your business, as you like to say. However, the response you had to her went viral because I think some people were probably really surprised that you responded with such kindness, why did you decide that that was the way to respond? Kindness, empathy, prayer, even. I think that's the only way to respond, right? When people don't really know you, right? I always give people grace. It's my first thought and intention. And I honestly wouldn't even respond. Like that morning went like this. I was sitting right here working and my phone started going off. And I was like, Lord, why are these people messing? I mean, it's like seven in the morning for me. 
And I look and people are like, girl, Wendy Williams is talking about you. I was like, oh my God, I didn't know she knew me. <laughs> and then I, they, somebody sent me the clip. I said, oh my, oh my God, oh, Lord. And I put my phone on back down and went back to working. I, literally, I was like, look, bless her heart. Like, she don't know me. I went back to working and it's like God said, this is the moment where you give this woman grace. And I said, well, I don't really care. Right. He was like, but it's not about you in this moment. And so I just from my heart did the video with no expectation that people would go crazy about it. Right. But I think to your point, the reason that people went crazy about it is because no one had given her grace before. She's been fighting for a long time. And I was not going to show up to the fight. I was going to show up to love her. Right. And to pray for her. I still pray for her every day, especially these days, because she's not well. And it's, it's heartbreaking to see people that way. When I say the pain you must be, you know, must be in like that pain. I, I can't even imagine how that must feel to be in that kind of pain and how it must feel for years to capitalize on other people's pain or downfall or create that and have to live with that inside. That's heavy, right? And so I just thought, well, this woman needs grace in this moment. And to know that somebody sees her in this moment without negativity, but also to let her know that mind your business next time. You know, and don't don't put out things that way. Right. Uh, But that's really it. Like my intention every day is to love. I choose it intentionally every day. I'm like, I wake up and I want people to feel loved. I think that's our purpose. Like we all were born with a heart for that reason to love. Liking people is different. We all love by default. It's natural for us to love. It ain't natural to like. And so it was just real and intentional. I guess that is sort of a big example of how you might respond if somebody, you know, is trying you, right? Are you always able to exercise that? Because I can't imagine you mad, but I imagine you might have some moments. I always tell people, unless you live in this house, you probably will never see me mad. Right. Because you don't know me well enough to ruffle my feathers. The person who can get me, honey, going is my husband. And he'd be bothering me. I'd be like, you want me to kill you, don't you? You want <laughs> But even at this stage of my life, it just takes so much. I mean, we can't even stay mad. We can't even argue good no more. We, we both get tickled. Like we was having a spat this morning on something so dumb. But I, I had it in my mind. I'm going to have an attitude with you today. He like he know he like, oh, you're going to be mad at me today. huh? Like and now I'm laughing. Right. So it's like it, it takes too much out of me. It's exhausting to be upset. Right. But to be happy and to be joyful gives you energy. Right. So I need all the energy I can get. I, don't, I got a lot to do. I ain't got time to be walking around holding grudges, being mad and frowned up. And also, honey, I like my skin. I, you know, when you be frowning, it be taking, uh, you, all this get to going. I don't want to do the Botox stuff that the folks, I ain't ready for that life yet, okay? <laughs> I want to keep it smooth as long as I can. Well, it was interesting because originally what touched off, you know, I, uh, Wendy Williams's response was about you saying that you wanted or have already retired your husband, which I thought was so beautiful, but yet, Women who are in your position, who are high profile, people assume, you know, you're the high earner and all this other stuff. And like to get into your business based on what they see, um, it's it's almost like uh, people want to because I go through the same thing. You know, being my husband is obviously not as high profile as me. And so people have all these perceptions about what our interaction must be like, like, oh, you only with her because ESPN used to pay her this and all this kind of stuff. So I know you certainly don't live by other people's negative perceptions, but nevertheless, 
Does that ever get annoying? Because sometimes for me, that gets very annoying. And I never want my husband to feel emasculated. But part of the reason why he's my husband is because he's very secure in this situation. So how do you deal, I guess, with all of that part? I'd be telling people this, and this God honest truth. I know people don't believe it, but I don't care. I don't spend time on it, right? Because I think that's where you get, where it gets annoying because you spent time on it. It ain't my business what somebody else thinks. I know my truth. I know my husband's truth. I know our truth and our circumstances together. People don't know it. So, which is why I wasn't going to respond that day. Because I was like, well, she don't know us. So it don't matter. But then I did. But so many people, girl, people going to always have something to say about us. They're going to always have something to say about you. So the day we out of here. And even when we gone, honey, they're going to still have something to say. Let them say it. Honey, wish them well, right? It ain't my business. And, I, and as long as me and my husband is right here, that's all that matter to me. Well, as I mentioned, he's seen you through every stage, but it's, it's vice versa. You've seen him through every stage. So what are you sort of, and this is not to suggest he's not done evolving, but what's the proudest you are of seeing the man that he's become? Like what makes you most proud seeing how, how he's gone from the fifth grader you knew to now being uh, this man next to you? Oh, honey, listen, you know, he's a coach now. He started his nonprofit, uh, Team Chance Basketball. And when he is in his element with those kids, I'd be like, I'm so glad that you got fixed, honey, because we might have about two, three more babies because that thing is so, it's so attractive on them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd be like, ooh, that man is fine. But um, I just, I love to see him poor, right? I know how he grew up and I know the people he needed in his life that he didn't have. And he works really hard every day trying to be that for other kids. And he's so passionate about it. And to wake up and let that drive him. It's amazing. It's amazing to see. I'm so proud of him. So, and he just beginning. That's the other thing that excites me is that he just getting started. He just getting started. So I'm excited about what God is going to do in his life. Yeah, you guys, as I, as I mentioned, you guys host couple conversations uh, through the Black Love series. So um, might should we expect that you two will be doing more? Because I, I mean, I think you guys are really good at it. So will we see more of uh, of Tab and Chance? Will we see this? Girl, I, don't, I mean, you know, you're going to have to ask Cody and go over there and knock on the door and ask him <laughs> if he's going to come back. Well, may, well, maybe not specifically with Black Love, but, you know, listen, Nicole, Ari Parker, and Boris Kojo work together all the time. I'm just saying. Well, you know, we do our own thing on Fridays. It's Fridays with having Chance. And so we've both been so busy. We haven't been able to do it as consistent as we like to. But the goal this year is to make that even bigger. So absolutely. How does he like the media spotlight or being out front? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he's slowly catching on. He's slowly embracing you know, people who followed me very early on, uh, when I used to cook live in my kitchen, they never saw his face. They would only hear his voice. And all you would hear was him saying, man, you got them people looking in our house again, man. They looking in our kitchen. I'd be like, hey, I got to do this. The Lord has told me to do these videos. He'd be like, man, I don't like all these people looking in our house like that. Now he'd be like, hey, babe, you ain't did no video in a while. You need to go on there and do that video. <laughs> That's right. Holding you accountable. But it's so funny. Last night, uh, Yesterday, Black Love posted like a reel on Instagram and it's of him talking. And he was he was watching him sit on the couch. He said, hey, babe, you saw this? And I was like, yeah, I saw it. He was like, man, I, shoot. I was all right on that. <laughs> so he, he started, he started to get, get, you know, get his feet wet and get comfortable. So he started to enjoy it. He's got to be his own pace. That's great. Because my I swear my, my husband is an extrovert. So sometimes I have to be like... Give me the mic. This ain't all for you. <laughs> no, it, it takes him a while to warm up and get comfy. <laughs> um, as you look at uh, sort of this next phase of of what you want to do with your your career, because you've already probably checked off a lot of goals and maybe even some you didn't even know were there or would be there. Um, what does this next phase for you look like? Uh, you know, I used to do a show called Very Good Mondays. And I highlight small businesses. And doing that just always felt so good to help people. Uh, I want to get back into more helping people uh, using my platform to where I can make other people's dreams come true. And so, you know, my prayer has been 
because uh, God has been revealing this to me. And I'm like, well, Lord, when? Because I want to make sure I do it on his time. Uh, is a talk show. So we're going to see, you know, if that is in the master's plan, then that's what it'll be. And then, of course, I still want to do movies. I still love to perform. I'm uh, working on developing a show. I'm about to shoot my uh, first show with Food Network. I'm super excited about that. I made their hot list to, to watch this year. And I'm, you know, finishing my cookbook. and That'll be out this year. But most importantly, I just really want to, you know, keep pouring into people. You know, my children's show, Tab Time, is doing really well. I would love to continue that and maybe tour it. And, you know, I, when we were little and my nephew was little, I remember Barney used to go on tour and it would be a thing where kids would go. Um, but just keep doing things that make people feel well and change the narrative of how we see Black women. And, you know, show up with me and Donna, honey, being free and in charge and spreading love and positivity. But that's it. You know, I don't really have like exact things. You know, I'm working on a lot of things, but I never think too far because God just keeps blowing my mind. He was like, that's great. I like your plans, but let me show you something. Sit back and let me show you something real quick. And I'm all right with that. You always have been very good and candid about you know, sharing how God has gifted you with certain visions and manifestations and ideas. How did you learn as somebody who is a believer to accept the vision that he was showing you? Oh, honey, my whole life has been that, right? And he has shown me things and it's been confirmed so many times. I'd be a fool not to believe. (laughs) So it's just how it is, you know? I can't think of a time when I did not believe in what he showed me. It's my gift, right? It's my gift. And I see things, I hear things, I dream things, and I feel things. And all of those are our gift. I always tell people, everybody got, you know, some people like, I don't have that gift. I don't have that kind of gift. I'm like, everybody got that gut though, right? You know how you have that gut feeling? I call it the gift under the tummy. So you, everybody got a gift. And so sometimes it just shows up in different ways and we we have to make our decision on how we choose to believe them. Were you ever reluctant to share your spiritual journey with people? Yeah, girl, I was, honey, for a long time, I was scared that people would think I was crazy, you know, because I have gifts that will blow people's mind, right? And scare people away. I've had people not want to talk to me anymore because I had to tell them things about their life. And so for a while, I prayed it away. God, please take this from me. I don't want the responsibility. But now I know, you know what, it's who I am. And so I'm never shy about it. And I am very vocal. People know, honey, that me and the Lord is best friends. <laughs> I always tell people, you know, I grew up in the church, but I'm not, I'm not uh, religious, right? I don't believe in religion. I believe religion causes separation. But I, I get caught up in my relationship with the Lord, right? And so um, I always tell people, you ain't got to go to God all holy, like, oh, Lord, we come to you now. No, you could talk to him the same way I'm talking to you. Like, Lord, let me talk to you for a second because I don't know what's going on in this moment. That's how I be praying. You be like, okay, Tab, sit on down. Let me let me talk to you. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, you mentioned all the projects that you're working on. Um, one project that you already have worked on is The Shy as Octavia. Uh, how did that role come about? Oh, Lena, who I love, uh, that's my sister. Um, she thought of me. She saw me. And she had known that I was an actress before, you know, people discovered me on the internet. And so she was like, I got a project, you know, you know, a, a role for you on the show. And I thought, honestly, when she told me that, it was going to be like me cooking some food or something, you know, one episode. But when she sent it over, I was like, oh, my God. I cried. I was like, you know, I've been waiting on a moment like that for over 20 years. And... Uh, to play Octavia with the role, you know, this character who is this woman that so many women identify with, right? I have so many close girlfriends um, who have, you know, fertility issues or not been able to have babies or failed adoption, so many different things. uh, And to represent that, it was so special to me to be trusted with that. So, but it was, it was an amazing experience. All right. Well, Tabitha, before I get you out of here, there's a game that I play with all my guests. So you are the next contestant. Um, and by the way, the game is called This or That. The choice is yours. You can oh. get with this or you can get with that. Or you can oh. get with this or you can get with that. You can get with it is very simple. I give you two choices. You have to pick one. Okay. 
and you're so nice and I hate to have to badger you during this part of the interview, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> okay. Okay. I know of your love for the Cosby show. So uh, Rudy or Olivia? Rudy. <laughs> you wanted to be one of Rudy's girls. Like that was. And I tried to be her friend. Yes. <laughs> you're like, you didn't even see yourself as a, uh, I guess, becoming like a Rudy. You were like, no, I just want to be one of our friends that opens the door. <laughs> right. I was like, I just want to be another actor on the show. That's it. Yeah. Which was actually a very good goal because you see the number of actors who have come in that you'll be watching the Cosby show. You're like, wait, I didn't know Adam Sandler used to be on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Uh, working at Macy's at Century City or driving an Uber? Driving Uber. Do you have any, I guess, memorable Uber stories to share at all? I love driving Uber because I love talking to people, right? Uh, but in my mind, I thought I was going to get discovered. I told my husband, I'm about to get discovered in my car because I'm going to meet a director or a producer or somebody. I'm going to be, you know. I mean, but it, it kind of happened though. It just didn't happen the way you thought. It did happen. I did get discovered in my car. It just, you know, I would talk to every person. I'm like, hey, so what'd you do? Oh, are you, are you a nurse? Let me go and get you to work. Okay. Like, oh, you're not. Okay. But uh, I just loved it. I had people in my car who would cry. I had people in my car who would laugh for the first time in a long time. Uh, I just always have had a gift where people feel safe to share. And so it was like a little counseling session for me. Uh, mushrooms or tomatoes? Mushrooms. Speaking of mushrooms. So you made a garlic kale mushroom pasta. Ooh, that is so good. Might make it tonight. <laughs> I love all those elements. I need to know what kind of pasta was it that you used? Angel hair pasta. It was angel hair. Okay. Was it like whole wheat? Just regular angel hair? Angel hair? It might have been chickpea. Chickpea. Yeah, yeah. But I'll use regular because regular uh, angel hair is already vegan as well. Oh, yeah. didn't know that. See, I'm on that recipe this week because it <laughs> looked phenomenal. It's so good. It's a favorite. Veggies wrapped in rice paper or avocado toast? Oh, avocado toast. <laughs> See, I can't get there. And I like avocados. I cannot get there. You got to toast the bread. Get the super thin Dave's Killer Bread, okay? Okay. Toast it. Put this spread of avocado on while the bread is still hot. So going like butter. Okay. But you got to add a dill pickle. I love it. And I love pickles. Add your dill pickle, a little red onion, some arugula, drizzle a little olive oil and some sea salt and pepper, maybe a little tomato if that's your business and eat good. See, I love pickles because you do so many creative and great things with vegetables. So my husband hates vegetables. He's one of those people that is like, you only need food for fuel, which I think is crazy. I'm like... He can eat the same thing every day and be. He just eating for for what it's gonna do for the body. Yes, I mean and he's in great shape. You know, I listen. I love looking at this six pack. Trust me, <laughs> but at the same time, I'm just like, there's got to be. He was like, vegetables just aren't tasty. Anything or is there a recipe you would suggest that I do that I could get him to actually like vegetables as more than just fuel? Does he like spaghetti? He does. So take if you were using like a, a vegan meat, right? Like Beyond Meat for example. But then you take your uh, zucchini, mushrooms, green bell pepper, uh, onion, and then and garlic, and you blend it all up in a blender so that it's chopped up thin, just like your meat. He ain't gonna know the difference. He's gonna be like, this is good. He ate a whole thing of veggies. Look at that. <laughs> yeah. My son don't be liking veggies either some days, but he'll eat that spaghetti. All right, finally, of the Tabitha catchphrases, have a good day, but if you can't, don't go out messing up somebody else's day or that's your business. Oh, girl, girl, girl. I'm going to have to go with that's your business. I'm going to have to do that because I think you can tie it into making it a good thing, right? Uh, to close out your day. You know, both of them are about your business. To have a good day, but if you can't, don't go messing up nobody else's. That's your business, right? But I, I I say that's your business because our life is our business. And if you don't take care of it, you can go out of business. So is that your business for me? Did you ever think about making that the title of your memoir? Um, you know what? It could be. Because, you know, my book is Feeding the Soul because it's my business. Right. You never know, girl. <laughs> well, and I also think uh, idea of feel free to steal, if you haven't thought of it already, that y'all are right is also, I think, a good way to open up, uh, to be a book or something, a podcast title, like y'all all right fits you so good because that's how you literally open up talking to people. Yeah, I, people always say that too. You know, I'll go out and do events. I always, you know, 
hello there, y'all all right? <laughs> I know. If you, once that talk show happens, and I truly believe it will happen because you are built for a talk show, you got to open the show up with that every day. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. And we close every day with the going about your business, all right? There you go. I'm sick. Bam. There it is. (laughs) I love it when a plan comes together. Well, Tabitha, thank you so much for joining me and giving me a little bit of your time. Um, You're just such an amazing person. Like you just, I I don't even know you that well, but I just, I, I, I so get it. You just have a glow about you. And I think just, it just draws people in. So you, you are not lying. You have a gift. A true gift and not a lot of people in this business um, actually have that gift some try to fake that gift but people know when it's the real deal so I know that you are just scratching the surface despite how successful you already have been so thank you for spending this time thank you for that I appreciate you huh thank you so much I mean listen my husband is a fan he has been he ain't here right now he had to take my son to tutoring but for many years honey, we would see you at night trying to go to bed and I hear your voice and see you on the TV so uh, keep doing what you do. You're just amazing. I appreciate it. Well, please give him my best. And I know uh, coaching and, and especially coaching kids, you look, unfortunately, we've seen so many bad examples of youth coaches in terms of their behavior. So it's great to know that there's somebody out there really kind of shaping um, shaping the future. And sports is so important to the development of young people. Obviously, I'm a, I'm a big proponent of that. Yeah. Right. Exactly. It's so important. So I will let him know. All right. Take care, Tabitha. Appreciate you. Thank you for that. All right. Y'all know what's coming up next. Final segment. Fuck it, I'm bothered. Ozark, one of my favorite shows, is coming to an end. And while that alone is a reason to be bothered, the reason I am perturbed, the inspiration behind this fucking I'm bothered is because of how television executives and Netflix have decided to play with my emotions. Let's be honest. We have become a binge culture. That waiting for a new episode every week TV life is some shit that should go the way of blockbuster video. Ain't nobody trying to wait. I need minds now. So you can imagine how distraught I felt when I started the final season of Ozark, only to find out they were breaking it up into two parts. Part one was seven episodes. They were going to wait a few months and then give you part two. And Netflix just announced last week that part two is coming April 29th. Now, some would argue that's not so bad, but it feels like suddenly these streaming services are trying to take us back to when circular rocks were our tires and we had to use our bare feet to start the car. Peacock released the Fresh Prince reboot, Bel Air, but didn't drop a whole season, just two episodes. And that's going to be their plan every week, two episodes a week. Also, side note, I will soon have a whole conversation about the Bel Air series, which is incredible if you haven't watched it, because we need to talk about what they've done to Carlton, who is in the running right now for most unlikable character on TV. Anyway, they did the same thing with the Sex and the City reboot, and just like that. And we, the paying customers, need to demand better. If y'all gonna drop this three, four, and five dollar increase on these streaming services whenever the mood strikes, the least you can do is not take us back to a time where we still making popcorn on the stove. So run it. Whole seasons. All at once. And just because it's the series finale, stop trying to make that shit stretch five years. Okay, we know it's ending. It's too much TV out there. Don't fuck around and find out how short my attention span is. Stay unbothered. Time to break you off with the fire. Fuck it, I'm bothered. Hit you with the spice that I offer. Fuck it, I'm bothered. Uh, my word, how I live. You don't want to miss it. I was born to get it. Jamel Hill is Unbothered is produced by Spotify and Unbothered Inc. From Unbothered Inc., Christina Tapper is our head of content. 
Ashley Van Horn is our head of talent. Ashley J. Hobbs is our creative producer. Rich Berner is our head of network production. And Evan Dick is our executive producer. From Spotify, executive producer is Christina Tapper. And project manager is Jessica Dow. Our theme, Word of the Week, and Fuck It, I'm Bothered tracks were written and performed by Brandon Lowe, produced by Lucas Fry and Alexander Hitchens. This or that music, the choice is yours. Revisited by Black Sheep. Written by Andres Titus, William K. McLean, and Johnny Hammond from Universal Polygram International Publishing, Inc. On behalf of itself and Pete Bow Music. You can find more from me on Twitter and Instagram at Jamel Hill. This sound like theme music. She dropped word of the week. It's best to use it. Church. Unbothered, never losing. Jamel asked this or that. Get to choosing. Pick one. Child of 75 and 21. Wave goodbye to 45. Bye-bye. Don't make me tell you 50, 11 times from politics to laugh. Every week she shines. My word. How I live it. You don't want to miss it. I was born to get it. And you don't forget it. Sit back for a minute. I was born to get it. My word, how I live, you don't want to miss it I was born to get it And you don't forget it Sit back for a minute I was born to get it